Brown, I'm the president of the Royal Academy. As all of you know, uh, our December is get up uh, and so on works all night every night. So we're delighted here. And I'm just here to introduce these three stars of the Royal Academy because, of course, Anselm is an honorary Royal Academician. Sir David Chipperfield is one of our Academicians, and Tim Marlowe is Director of the And you're a real yeah, member. So I'm a yeah, 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 honorary member. Right. While the president was speaking, um, I just heard Anselm saying to David, you're a real RA, aren't you? And David said, yes, as if honorary RAs are not real. Um, <laughs> reality and um, what constitutes reality is probably one of the subjects we might talk about in this discussion. Um, it, it's built as a conversation. I think the sound is bad. Can you hear the sound, by the way? It's terrible the sound to me. Doesn't work. Uh, right, I thought I that's my system is not good. Or that isn't going to work either, is it? Um, up. Oh, we'll keep talking. Can you, is that better? Yeah. Do we have any handheld mics as a? How about that? If we take them off, is it worth? Because Christopher's voice was wonderful, wasn't it? You could hear it booming. But no. Okay. Too much reverberation. Okay. <laughs> this is built as a conversation. But what we're going to do, sound permitting, is interrogate Anselm. David will lead on this, but I I'm here to partly facilitate that. And there's a number of areas that we're going to look at. First and foremost, the idea of the studio and the creative space the design of those spaces, how creativity flourishes, when a studio can become a work of art. There's also the architectural motifs in Anselm's work. We're surrounded by some of them in this room, Speyer's chancery, for example, but towers, pyramids, ziggurats, and so on. And I think the final area in the hour that we've got, we, we may touch on the whole idea of ruins. It's something that David Chipperfield's been dealing with in Berlin. It's something that Anselm has grown up with since childhood um, in Germany. So I wanted to begin, or have been asked to begin, very briefly, Anselm, just by taking people through your studios very tightly. Your first studio, which is referred to in the exhibition uh, in Gallery 3, um, was a schoolhouse. You had an attic space, and then a brick factory was also part of the conglomeration of buildings in, in Buchen, in southwest Germany. In the early 90s, you moved to the south of France, where you created Barjac, where there will be images here on the right, which is an extraordinary complex, really, of underground tunnels, of 40 or so pavilions, of an amphitheater cast in concrete, of glass houses, of towers, over 20, two of which were constructed in the Royal Academy courtyard five years ago here. And Two years, three years ago, you moved to Paris. You now work in a studio outside Paris in the north-east corner 
in a place called Kwasi in 35,000 square meters of creative space. So let's go back to Buchen. And I just wanted you to explain how that studio came about and when the idea of not just working in it, but actually using the studio itself as a, as a work of art. How did that evolve? You know, I, I looked always, when I, use, when I uh, look for a studio, um, I looked always for places where something happened already in, since a long time. So in the schoolhouse, uh, it's clear there was a lot of, uh, there was punished a lot of schoolboys, and um, there was a lot of suffering in, incorporated. Then in the brick factory, they did, um, they did a lot, through centuries, a lot of, of bricks and tails to cover the, the houses. And um, in France, in the, it was a filature, that's um, um, a factory where they produced the faden. The, 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 the industry of weaving, yeah. The, no, 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 no. The, the, Silk. The silk, the, the, the thread, they produce the thread. So in all of these places was a lot going on through a long time and uh, it, it, for me it was still filled with activity, with a remnants of activity. So this was important for me. So I continu continued something. So history being one of the main subjects, if not the main subject of your art, is also something that interests you in the studio. You don't want to obliterate history, you want to work with it in the studio. Yes, I, I'm, first I'm part of it, because I move in and I'm part of it, I, I continue the history there. But then, then I, I change the history too. The history is a, is a clay, you can do with it what you want. And, and a lot of, a lot of uh, kings and, um, and leaders, they did their own history. Did, did you, from the beginning in Buchen, think about working with the spaces to make installations, or did that suddenly come out of the work you were making, the objects you were making, and then you suddenly realized, I need to start thinking about the space around me as part of the work? No, no, I started in the space, for example, in, in Buchen, in the, in the um, attic, Speicher attic. Um, I, I started to do actions. I did a lot of things. I did Bilderstreit, some tanks who destroyed the pallet, and I did the, the wood of, of Gilgamesh, uh, uh, the, the holy cedar of Gilgamesh. I did all kinds of actions, and then came the paintings. Um, so what prompted you to leave Buchen and go to Barjak? Was there a sense that Buchan was finished? Had you exhausted what you wanted to do there? Or was it just more appealing to go somewhere else? No, no, it was poorly personal. I, I always, in my life, I always followed women. <laughs> I, 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 never, I never decided myself where I wanted to go, so I followed all the time. We do this, no? Is <laughs> <laughs> that your case? Huh? No, but I think there's an interesting question about the scale of your work. Did did you want a bigger space because you wanted to do bigger work? Or did the possibility of having such big space allow you to think about your work in a different way? No, I suffered from my childhood that it was in a small, it was a room like this here. 
And I suffered so much because I couldn't, I couldn't express myself. It was like in a prison all the time. So then I, I had the will to, to have a bigger place. And once it starts like this, you don't, you don't stop, you know. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact David avoided the question about women quite rather nicely with that. Um, no, he, he didn't answer. No, he didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't on the agenda. Um, David, I'm interested in, um, I mean, two aspects really. One is your own creative spaces, the, the spaces in which you work and whether what Anselm has said and what you've seen of his reverberates. And then I suppose also the spaces that you've designed for other artists in which they will, will work. I know you made a studio for Anthony Gormley, for example, but what, what about the spaces in which you work? Did they, I mean, in a sense, as an architect, the spaces in which you work must have been designed by you partly. So what Anselm is saying about the, the becoming part of the work must resonate to a certain extent, or do you have to try and escape the spaces in which you're working to think about other spaces? Um, well, we don't work in such architectural context as he does. And I think it's quite interesting how um, Anselm has uh, managed to explore architecture, maybe in ways that architects don't or can't. Um, I noticed in one of the interviews, someone was talking to one of your assistants saying, so there must be a lot of uh, analysis in how you make these structures. And someone said, your, one of your assistants apparently said, no, sometimes they fall down, or a lot of times they fall down. No, sometimes they should fall down. <laughs> so no, this, I, this is a type of way that we can't work as architects. We, we, we can't work in this sort of empirical way like that. And I think it's quite interesting that you, in your sort of semi-architectural works, are exploring so many ideas of architecture which actually are lost in contemporary architecture in terms of texture, in terms of the sort of ad hoc quality, the organic quality, the sort of playing with heaviness. But you know the cathedrals fall down all the time. Yeah, because they, they were they, experimenting. It was trial and error. Yeah, but now architecture is very prescriptive. It's very... I know, yeah. So you can play. But you know, you, you need don't need planning permission. I mean, you're doing things where yeah, no, you need a mayor. You need a mayor. You know, in, in South Africa, I had a mayor who was fantastic. You know, he was communist and he was very cultivated. You know, and I did all kind of things you ne nobody would allow. You know, and um, such as hmm? such as oh the amphitheater. You know, I have I had no no what's heißt fundament. I have no fundament, and I hope that it it slipped a little bit. You know, like this. And it did, it did, until now it didn't. It's very yeah. strange. And it did towers. I wanted to, to fall down. You so know, you, sometimes. you can play with things in yeah. the way that actually architects are no longer allowed to. I you mean, do it in models like this, no? Yeah, but also, <laughs> you know, you can build something and call it a piece of art, therefore you don't need a permission or you don't need it to be, it doesn't have to conform to health and safety and all of these sort of uh, no, performance if, if requirements. If people go in, normally I, I should yeah. have. Uh, when, when I, when we wanted, I went with Thomas Krenz with the Guggenheim, we wanted to transform Bajak in a foundation because I wanted to leave it and that someone else took it over. And then we had a lot of reflection how we can, so we, it, it would be only possible for 18 people a day to go, you know, because... <laughs> but 
I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm jealous. I'm just pointing it out. The idea that uh, you can ex you, you've moved into a sort of scale which is semi-architectural, and you can explore actually in ways that architects often don't. They can't imagine or they can't yeah. do that. You know, I had I have a, a collector who is um, who was once a mason. You know, he is, hmm. and he made his money then by um, devel developer or developer, de yeah. developing. But he is amazing, and he is still amazing. And he, he said to me, "You know what the difference is between an artist and an architect?" He said, "When someone comes and say to you, make this line a little bit higher on your painting,' you say no. An architect cannot say no. You Absolutely, know? <laughs> exactly. But can we move the conversation somewhere else? Which is, I think." I would be interested to know the relationship between the way you make work and the environment, the spaces within you which you make work and conceive work, and the spaces where you show work. And presumably, you know, this show is a confrontation of those two worlds in a very explicit way. I mean, this is probably the most conservative uh, environment yeah. that you can imagine. Do you see that as a a chance? Uh, uh, is that restriction of this building it's a and challenge. these spaces? It's is a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. You know, I, I did other exhibitions, for example, in Bilbao. There's a complete other architecture. I don't know, you know, you know some of you know Bilbao, the, the from Van Gary, the, the building. And I respond to the building when I choose the works, when I do the. It's, it's very important. I reflected a long time how to do this show because um, it's, it's important uh, relation between the building and the work then. And what, so if this is a challenge, I mean, is it a positive challenge or would you, is I there another type of environment that oh, I, I only you take positive challenges. <laughs> <laughs> no. But then staying the other way around, what is a good way, you know, thinking, I mean, we are always being involved in this discussion about what is space for contemporary art. So it's interesting how the Royal Academy does not anticipate contemporary art. Contemporary artists have to work with it, and then they say, okay, it's fine. But, me it works well, yeah. but would you consider that there are certain types of spaces which, where you would prefer to show your work? Um, there are certain, certain uh, museums, new museums. Um, I like the architecture. I would never show in them paintings because they don't need any art in. They're, they're, I, I can, you want an example? Name? <laughs> Name you know, I like very much Zaha. Hadid. Zaha Hadid. She, 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 she's wonderful. And I had once a project with her for a studio of mine, you know, long ago. And, and I like it. I like the, the, you know this building in Rome. Yeah, it's, it's a ship. You know, it's a wonderful concrete ship. I like it, but I would never even not hang a watercolor in this ship <laughs> because it's it's sculptural because it's a work of art in itself. I think she she would see this like this. Yes, and and, and I think it's 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 a it's a sculpture. Yes, it's it's a ship coming like this. Da David mentioned different spaces. Um, where do you think your work looks best? Is it in the kind of 
neutral, if, if any building can be neutral, pavilions that you created at Barjac, for example. Is that, is that for you an optimum place in which work is, is shown? <coughs> yes. You know, um, in some collections, so um, there are collections in America where the collector built little museums for themselves, and that's, that's ideal. But in some saloons in Paris or wherever, when you see your painting with other things, it's, it's all, it, it becomes all gray. It becomes, it's annihilated. Annihilated. Annihilated one the other. So, and, and I think what, normally one room, one painting is good. You can concentrate on it and then it's fine. But your work breaks away. I mean, when we look at these images of Varjak, you know, I mean, you are, your work is challenging continuously the, the idea of the, of the museum or the gallery. No? I mean, it, isn't, that, isn't there a sort of, don't you find this restrictive for? Here? Yeah. Yes, but you know, we need restrictions. It, it's, 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 it's important to, to fight against restrictions, you know? You know, what the, about best, the best jokes are in dictatorships, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's a confrontation sometimes with architecture. Sometimes you work with it, but you're fi you fight it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's um, you, you, you. So, for example, in Bilbao, I made a show in Bilbao, and <clears throat> it was completely different, you know? <clears throat> you, you, couldn't, you couldn't find this quiet place. Here, it's, I, I would say it's, a, it's, it's like a monastery here. It, it's, there are quiet places. You, you, you can concentrate on them. And, and, and but the, the increasing popularity of contemporary art seems to be that contemporary art is creating potentially a different relationship with the audience that traditional art did. And that artists are enjoying that different relationship. Uh -huh. And that's something you exploit in your your sort of installation work, or even in this courtyard, you know, these vitrines in the courtyard, sort of fantastic sort of confusion of, of um, you know, these pieces placed in a very intimate way in a very public space. I think that's very fascinating. And, so, and the, the, England is a big nation of, of uh, seafart, seafart, of navigation, no, of... Yeah, no, the, oh, the, the work it? is beautiful. But in terms of the contempt, you know, if contemporary art has a potential different relationship to the audience. Therefore, it's not only the nature of the space, but it's the nature of the institution. So I suppose what I'm trying to understand from you is, is, is the convention of the museum itself, not only the spaces of the museum, but when we look at the work in the context which you make it, which, as Tim is saying, is, is more than a studio. It's, You've, you've turned your studio into a world. And I think for, 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 no, for no. us, that world is quite fascinating. And you're going across boundaries which a museum can't do. And this is a theme of contemporary art, is this idea that contemporary art establishes, you know, it's just not, it's not the latest modern art. Yeah, but, but, but you know, I would never do a museum like my studio. Complete, this is not good. Why not? Because this is my brain, you know? It's all chaotic, it's all, it has to be connected to things. That's why it's, so, why it's there. But I never would show my studio in, in, a, in a show because 
it's not concentrated, it's not organized, it's, it's not um, an, presented. An, an offert. It's offert. not presented. It's not presented, no, no. no, no. This is, I, I, in, in my studio, it's very big, I go like in my brain, you know, I, I look in other contexts, I look other combinations, and um, so it, it's, it's in progress. And, um, and I think the, the viewer has a right to have something concentrated um, and decided, you know? But, I have to decide process, for them. The process in your work is very important. And, and you, you can read process in your work. Yeah, yeah sure. But <clears throat> it's, there are different processes. I, I speak for the, for the viewer, I speak about the process after I left it, you know, the, 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 the work. Then it's still a process. But the process who, in my brain, I, um, I cannot show. It's too chaotic. I, I don't trust you on this, because I think that, <laughs> I think Bajak is, you know, it's clearly a, a construct. And clearly there is an aspect of presentation there. And also I think the contemporary audience is becoming more and more interested in process, and you talk about the method by which you make things, and clearly the method by which you make things is really important to the presented work. Yes, yes Bajak is completely different from here. Yeah. yeah because you said but, but do you mind people going to Bajak? I mean, could, could you imagine that becoming a museum, finally? Um, yes, but not for, for a big audience. No, no, I would say for, for, it's more for research, not for, for presentation. You have explored it becoming public, haven't you? You mentioned earlier, but you've talked, you talked yeah. to Guggenheim, you've talked to French state, German state, yeah. but it's, it's difficult because its this location is difficult. But it was not the public with hundreds of buses. Yeah. It was, only, it was only possible 18 a day, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> Let me... Um, you, know, you know, I like so much in America the thing of... of um, Dear? The, 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 the lightning field, yes. Valde de Maria. You have to go there. You have to spend the night there. And um, I, I, I like this because you are prepared then. And I was there, and it's a, you, you know it too, no? I've never been. No? No. But it's a, it's, but a, it's a wonderful experience. And you go there, you know? Or what, what Donald Judd did in, in um, Marfa. Yes. It's, yeah. let, let, let me just pick up on what David was saying and Barjak. Is, um, and thinking about your studio in Paris now as well where there are spaces in which work is displayed, but it's not displayed in a way that it is at Barjak. It's almost, there are these white spaces where you can put work, I suppose, to see how it looks or to work through ideas for public display. I know, for example, the Erdzeitalter in the central octagon here, you were able to create a space, roughly those dimensions, and make the installation and see, resolve it to a certain extent, and then it can, can travel. Now, are you saying that in Barjak, the fact that there was a studio there and then all these pavilions and amphitheaters and um, tunnels, 
the two are almost separated in your mind, that the studio is where you go and work, and because you're, you happen to be working in an environment that has all this landscape and all this possibility, you can also work with the landscape. Or is the studio inconceivable without everything around it, and therefore you are seeping into the landscape and you are working in a continuous way? No, I work in bo both ways. I work in the studio in Bajak too, I work in the studio and I work outside. And, and, but outside it was more concentrated, it was more decided, and the buildings are not, uh, are not famous architecture, it's very primitive, but um, it was defined. I had a painting and I made a building around, and that, that's it. And it's, it's, um, you're right, it's, it's more than my studio in Paris. Bajac is, is organized, it's less chaotic. But it's also appealing to experience. It's an experiential idea. It, it is yeah. three-dimensional, it's, it's material. You can walk, yes. You, so, it's an, and it's enclosing. Yeah, yeah. There are lots of structures which are, so they are not passive in yeah. terms of they're not flat. No, it's like, you know, this, this, this philosopher, the peri, how do you call it, peripatetic? Yes. In, in English, peripatetic. They, they was philosophing, philosoph doing philosophy by walking. And that's what I want to do. Yeah, but it, so it's, you're breaking the conventional bounds of art being something on a wall mm -hmm. to being something that you experience. And yeah. therefore, you are breaking that uh, relationship, the conventional relationship mm -hmm. of art in a room on a wall with a viewer yeah. one meter away. Yeah. And so you are engaging in these objects and these things and this work in, an, in a very contemporary manner. The, this change of boundary between the, 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 the viewer and the artist. So, in a, in a way, I still come back to that. that it seems so explicit in your studio and your work, which I think is more than a studio. It's, it, clearly, it's a world you've, yeah, you've made. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, it, you know, it, it seems two worlds. This. I mean, here you're, you're being forced back into the conventions, not only are the, the spatial conventions, but actually the social conventions, the, the sort of... You mean here? Yes, in yeah, such a place. But, you know, you speak about boundaries. I think... You know, in the 60s, they said uh, we have to take out the threshold. Everybody should go in the museum, eat there, picnic there, and so on. And, um, and now I think we, we need thresholds. We need a sign, now we go in another space. That's important, even if it's um, interactive, you know. You think so? so you're too, saying, no? absolutely. So you're saying you have to challenge the form, but you have to respect the form. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. Your respect links, it's more moral. I mean, I mean, to make a border. Now comes something else. So is your. You know, there are, there are ideas in, in the architecture that people have has to go, it has to go through a museum. You know, they go in and, and the. They can go through without paying, without... Um, and I think that doesn't, doesn't help. Is, is your installation in the courtyard, the two vitrines, then in the vestibule at the top of the stairs, then the exhibition, are those systematic analyses of 
boundaries or thresholds. You know, you come through the threshold into the courtyard, there's a work. You come up the stairs to the entrance hall, <coughs> there's a work. Then you come in. I mean, I, I never thought about it in those terms. No, is I that mean, how you see the it? The threshold here in the courtyard is a tradition because there was other artists who did other work, so you are prepared. In this courtyard will happen something. And, and um, so, so there, there is a threshold. Architecturally too, there's a door, door, and there's a there's a guardian, and so yeah. <laughs> yeah, except the vitrine that you did <coughs> breaks some preconceptions because it, it by being protected, it looks like it's an interior. It looks like it's something that could have been in a room that's been placed in. It sort of it's got its own frame, frame, which is it, it's which is quite a nice turnaround from being. Semi something on a pedestal. Semi-permeable, is this English? Yes. Semi yeah. Yeah. Um, just to go back to Bajak for the last time, perhaps, I was thinking, if David, if you had been given that landscape and had been commissioned to produce something vaguely like that which Anselm has finally produced, your process obviously would have been totally different. You'd have had to sort of cite the landscape, plan it, draw, work through, and so on. And so I'm curious about the process through which Barjak evolved. Did you start to look at the landscape and think, yeah, I want to make a series of tunnels? And did you pre-envisage? Where do you start and no, how do you, how no, do you no, proceed? It was completely different. When I left Germany, <coughs> I wanted to do um, light paintings I can roll and put on my car. So this was the idea because I, I was tired of these heavy things, of this of all these assistants and, and things. And I, I started with alone again. But then it developed again, you know. <laughs> I, couldn't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop it. So then it was this, this, uh, this um, filature uh, silk factory. And then it, all of a sudden it was too small and I had to build something. And um, I was not interested also in the landscape, you know. I followed someone there. It was not my choice, you know. So the landscape is so beautiful in south of France, you know, you know. Yeah. But it was not my landscape. I was not completely uninterested in it. So I was going in the earth, down, to recreate something what I had in Germany in the brick factory. I think what's interesting is that, in some sense, I mean, I haven't been there, but I've seen lots of images. It's clearly that it's organic. I mean, you were saying how an architect would do it, and the problem is. We are constricted by, you know, having to know where something's going to go. Yeah, yeah. Mostly because the client wants to know. I mean, we can't be as intuitive. We have to sort of set out where it's going to be and then uh, formulate everything around the conspiracy that brings us to that place. Where he is sort of um, just following things, making things, and there's a very direct relationship between his sort of intuition and yeah. his creativity. No, you which is, do have to be responsible. Yeah, we're completely responsible and we have yes. to, yeah. But, and therefore, what's interesting, and also I think there's another question, it's not only responsibility, I think we are formal. You know, somehow we have to think what the form will be. We've been trained uh -huh. to know what the conclusion is because normally the client wants to know that. You can't say, well, we're gonna build your house tomorrow and we're going to start and I'm not sure what it's going to look like but I'm, Trust don't, me. don't worry it's going to be fine so we have to we, and we've taken that on board that we know what the result is going mm. to be now you have to you have and to ask to, them what they want to and do that's another thing yeah. but we are, we've surrendered ourselves to the idea of 
form and result, you know, as you see, as Speer did as well, you know. Um, so I like the idea, and so I think in some sense, you've, this is my jealousy in a way, that you've got a sort of relationship between making, you know, we are, we are three stages away, we're always, we're always very distant from... We, sh we should exchange for one, one year <laughs> our studios. I, think. <laughs> I would I get, love it. Then I get more formal. And <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting is that even within that, there's a very strong aesthetic on formality in your work. I mean, it's not... You know, it could be super messy. I mean, it could somehow yeah. have no form because it's so intuitive. Mm. And yet... It's composition, it, isn't it? Yeah, you can always, you can tell what your work is. I mean, it's not, it's not an accident, you know. It's clearly, and things repeat, and images repeat, and proportions, you know, your doors, you know, yeah. repeat. There's certain formalities yeah. which keep occurring, even though your process seems to mm. be incredibly free. I find that very interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That, that I, I have some, some idea of proportion of the golden schnitt. What's, what's this? Golden section. section yeah. Golden section. I, I think I've incorporated it. <laughs> Everybody has it, no? Yeah. Do you, to, uh, yeah. Do, do you feel the need... I mean, David's articulated the idea that there's something very recognizable about a lot of your work. Do you feel sometimes the need to try and escape that? Do you, do, you, do you have to fight with yourself in that way? Or do you always go with that? Um, fight against what? The, the, the fact that things may... You may find that there are things that seem familiar that keep repeating ah, in repetition, your work. you mean. Yeah. Uh, of a style or an approach where things know, start to look... The problem is not so, so, so heavy because these works, these thousand things, they are not so much clients who order it, you know? So I'm not seduced to repeat myself all the time, you know? David, do you, I quite like the idea that you two have agreed to swap studios for a year. I mean, I think mm. we should really pursue that. Do you, is there a fancy of yours to... You think I fall down? No, I, I've been watching him, don't it, worry. It, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> I've been protecting, I've been keeping an eye on this. It, no, I want... <laughs> do you have a fantasy of liberated creation. I mean, do you, is there part of you that wants to work in a way that is parallel with what Anselm's done at Barjac? Even though that's impossible. I mean, it, it, there's no sense of you wanting a space, a playground, if you like, to, to work intuitively, to work with form and material and structure and start building without planning ahead. It's, it's something we struggle with within the studios, trying to think, trying to to think more freely and not know where you're going. And it's a really counterintuitive approach for an architect. And, and it's quite difficult to convince people in my office to not worry where you're going to arrive all the time. Just, you know. Yeah, you want to be surprised. No? Yeah. And because otherwise we don't work because it's boring then. The problem is that we have people continuously wanting to see our progress. So Your progress? Pro yeah, so the, you know, our clients Ah, yeah, yeah. will come after one month and say, so let me see it now. Ah, Whereas yeah. you can say, I'm not ready yet, so go away. Whereas yeah. you can't. So I, yeah, I'm jealous of that process. And of course, we, we, we aspire to some qualities of that. 
Can, while we're sitting in this room, can we can talk I ask, about Speer? Yeah, let's, you know, let's move on to Albert I'd like Speer. to ask Anselm to discuss these paintings, which I find fascinating, and your interest in architecture and ruin, because I think there's something continuous to this, because the, the, the architecture you make and the, and the buildings you make are ruins as well. They are, yeah. You, are, you yeah. are going in one direction. You know, you know I, I, when I started this, I had studied all the art in the Third Reich, you know. There is Kunst im Dritten Reich, it's like this. I bought it, I looked at it, and I wanted to find one painting, which <laughs> good. You, can find, you cannot find one. It's all shit, you know. And the, but the architecture is different, you know. The, architect, the architecture in the Third Reich is not so much, it's not spare architecture, it's a tradition. You have similar architecture in Paris, in Trocadero. Classicism. Classicism, you have the RER no, in, in Rome, what is yeah, this called? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Uh, and um, you did a building with these round windows. It's a little Brilliant. bit like, uh, yeah, yeah, no? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, no, it, it, and I was, and I, I showed once in Venice in this German pavilion, and it's a wonderful architecture. It's from Speer. And um, I said once um, in, in an interview, they didn't print it, but I said, instead, of they did now in Berlin, in the Potsdamer Platz. It's, it's, it's a mess because um, they are good architects, but they're all together like chicken in a, in a, in a, in a low-price uh, uh, egg farm, you know what I mean? Battery and farm, yeah. Battery farm, yes. And I would have it free. And I said, there was plans of spear for Berlin. They should not follow it all, for all the, the big, big capital. Capi it's, it's too big, it's too big. But some of this, you know, Hausmann in Paris. He, he, Paris, as you see it now, it's Hausmann. And it's, it's a kind of, it was brutal, you know, he, he killed a lot of things. But um, I think um, the people was very, very, uncomfortable with these paintings because it's architecture of Albert Speer. But we, we have to see that um, in the architecture, you cannot say it's a fascistic architecture, no? Well, that's the question. Is the architecture innocent or is it guilty? Can it, does it carry still? No, no, it's, it's not innocent. It's not like paintings. It's different. They're, they're, they're responsible. Mm. It's clear. But I mean, we're working on the Haus der Kunst in Munich, uh -huh. which is still carrying the guilt. But so it's a good architecture. Yeah, it's... You, you just, I saw exhibitions there. It works mm. very well. The rooms are not bad. Because it's not... It's not um, the house is besudled. Besudled. What is besudled? Contaminated. Some, somebody pissed yeah. in. It's like... Yeah, if you yeah contaminated. 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 It's contaminated. But the architecture itself is not yeah. because it was a tradition. It was a classicism. So when does it become uncontaminated? And what... I mean, in a way, you were clearly playing with this issue. I decontaminated it. Decontaminated but, it, yes. But you did show it as a ruin. You do show these buildings as, these spaces as ruins. Oh, because ruins are better. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because ruins is, it's not finished, it's the beginning and of something this new. This is what you do in your work as well, because they are, they're meeting the ruin halfway. This, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I told you, I, I wanted it, 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 it gets a little bit like this, you yeah. know, it doesn't. 
So I agree with you. I think ruins are fantastic. But why are they so wonderful? Because it's open. You can do something with it. You, you can, for an architect, it must be wonderful too, no? Well, I think it's where architecture becomes quite natural. It's yes. nearly architecture meets nature. It become, the yeah, na yeah, nature yeah. and architecture become uh, yeah. when, 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 there's a, when there's a battle between you know, the, the Incas, the, the, the ruins in, 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 um, in Buenam Park, you know, in Mexico. It's fantastic, the, the ruins and then the, the trees coming out. It's, it's such a But I think there's another aspect which I suspect is the as an aspect which you are attracted to. It, the, the ruin is more material, it's more, it's, it's more haptic, it has much more texture. Because if we see this room, somehow it's the icing, the, the, the surfaces uh, are very complete. So it, it's, it makes it passive in a way. If this room was ruined in the way that those rooms are ruined, all of a sudden it becomes active because you, you feel all the materials. You see yeah, the there, are, there are holes perhaps where the spirit well, can you, go. You feel, the, you feel the bones. You, yeah, feel, yeah. you yeah. feel the material. And I think that's interesting in your you know, work. It's a wonderful thing. In, in, in one of the castles of Louis, Louis II, uh, Louis, uh, Louis II, you know, in, in Bavaria. Ludwig, yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's Herrn Chiemsee. And there are some, it's all in gold and so, and there are some places where he didn't finish. And you see the bricks behind you. You remember, you, you saw this? No, I didn't see it. It's nice, you see the bricks yeah. behind. So, so this is wonderful yeah. when you see both. I think it's very interesting you say that ruins are active and that completed buildings are passive. It's also to do with transition, isn't it? It's a ruin reminds you that the building is in transition, a building that is complete and unruined, even though all physical objects are in transition. We're much more aware of that, which is something that you explore in your work. No, you did it in, in this museum in Berlin. You see, you see um, I don't know if you was there, you see the bricks still and, and, and he conserved some of the... So it's an open, it's an open situation. Yeah. yeah, but you wouldn't consider completing these pieces. I mean, they would have no... They wouldn't have the same immediate quality or... Perhaps I will do them incrustationen in marble. Have you ever done a completed thing? You know, something which has a sort of formal uh, result? No, I, I built it in my, in my studio, but it's so big. I built rooms for breakfast, for lunch, for sleeping, for, for orchestras. I, I did. You, you should come once. <laughs> I will. Well, I'm going to be there next year, apparently, when you're in my studio. Okay. <laughs> Why not work with an architect, Anselm? Why not get an architect to, to, to um, design your living spaces for you, your space for your orchestra, your studio? No, I started once. In, 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 before I left Germany, I, I, had project, I had a project with Saha, with Kob um, Himmelblau, with, with bricks, you know, and mm. another one who died. Oh, I forgot his name. And... Hollein. Um, <coughs> no, it was not Hollein. It was... Um, I forgot. Ungus. No, I forgot. <laughs> anyway, there are two others. Okay, I had, I had ideas and to, to, to work with them. But then, then it was exactly what you said. They asked me what I want to do there. And I said, I don't know what I want to do, you know. 
And, and, and then it, it became difficult because they said, we have to know uh, how much people you have, what you want to do, and, and so And I said, I, I have no idea. So, so I started now myself, you know, I just did a very primitive building and, and it was then developing through the years. He doesn't need an architect. Huh? You don't need an architect. But I don't need an engineer too. You know, in, 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 in Barjac, they Clearly told me, not. oh, this will fall down, you need an engineer. And engineers, you, you became aware, they're all, always fat, you know. <laughs> they sleep so well. They make it always four times stronger than it needs to be. Which is exactly what happened here in the <laughs> courtyard. Those towers were, were, were engineered not to, to be able to withstand but hurricanes, the, earthquakes. But the English people are different. My, there was a big difference. In France, I never could have done these towers because they say it's impossible and they need this bureaucracy, and the English people, they said, first we do it, you know? And then there was some, some um, obligations, but it worked. I'm, I'm that was the Royal Academy that did it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which the is artist-led and architect-led. This, this great institution. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, I liked it because in France, never I could have done it. You know, I did once a tower in the Grand Palais. You did seven, I think, actually. No, in the Grand Palais, it was only one. Up. It was collapsed as well, yeah. No, no, it, it was up. And then it was all... And then they put six lasers from different points. If this tower moves one millimeter, you know, it was completely... And then I break it down, the tower, so it was better. <laughs> um, in the time we've got left, just this idea about the studio and um, Anthem not needing an architect. Um, without putting Anthony on the spot in absentia, you did design a studio for Anthony Gormley. Did Anthony know exactly what he wanted and you had to then realize that? Or was it a journey where the two of you, yeah, you're nodding, I'd imagine that's the case, but, but, but how did that process work? Uh, Anthony knew what he wanted. No. Um, but why would he not design it himself? Um, because he liked the dialogue. And I think, I think he wouldn't have got neither. I, it was a good collaboration. I mean, neither of us would have ended up with that uh, on our own. And um, I, I think what's interesting, I mean, it, a lot of clients know what they want, but they don't really. And um, I think Anthony was, was quite good that way. I mean, there were certain issues that he was very clear about in terms of light uh, and in terms of um, I mean, actually, there was a lot of discussion in that about not wanting it to be too much like a gallery. But actually, in his case, it is a sort of semi-gallery. I mean, because clients go there and look at the work. So, I saw photos. It looks like a gallery. So, yeah, so it's, it's, got, it's got this double... But I think thing. Anthony, in general, uh, knows better what he wants in mind than I, I do. But could you conceive of working, David said a dialogue, could you conceive of, of, of designing or work, of finding a, a working space or a living space where it was a conversation with an architect? You work collaboratively with an architect, or does it just seem an impossible idea? For me? Yeah. Um, we discussed him doing a, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a mural. Two enormous uh, murals in the Noyes Museum. So I, I, did, I did it in, in, in the Louvre, I did a big mural, you yeah. know? And then they thought, this was this president, no? The president of all the museums in Berlin. Oh uh, yeah, uh, um, it was with Schuster. 
No, 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 no. This was a director, was a president. Lehmann and Patzinger. An archaeologist. Patzinger. Patzinger, yeah. He, he wanted to do this, we wanted to do this, and he said yes, but then it didn't happen. Yeah. Why didn't it happen? Why did you not manage to collaborate in No, Berlin? they liked him, but not me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We were a bit nervous. I was nervous too, I must say. About? Because at that time, because the building wasn't open yet, and there was a lot of controversy. Uh-huh. So, mm-hmm. there was, everyone was a little bit nervous what it meant to do this one more step. Now we can do it, I think. It, it is interesting. No, but it's interesting how the thing is, there's a lot of times where architects are invited or discussed to work with artists. I mean, we even had a discussion here yesterday about getting artists involved. And the thing is, if you, I, I don't know what you think, but engaging art within architecture is quite difficult. And you can't, you can't, combine these two mentalities because you can't say to an artist well what about could it be a little bit more blue at this end or could you make it a little bit more like this or what about if the figures weren't quite so tall I mean it's that you you somehow have to let the artist you know that's what a piece of art is it's an independent thing which is why presumably the idea of creating spaces or sites in which <coughs> artists can create, but on a temporary basis, is more appealing to, art, to architects. That having permanent art installed in your building becomes structurally almost part of your, it's certainly part of the fabric of the building. Unless you work from the very beginning, then it's fine if you, if you really collaborate. With permanent art is difficult because, um, you know, there's a, this um, law in Germany, you have to give 3% to artists, and it, it normally doesn't succeed because it's, it doesn't work. Yeah. Because it's decorative, it's an afterthought? It's decorative. Mostly, mostly it's decorative, yes. It's, nope. a, it's, a, it's a, um, an alibi. Norman Foster called it lipstick on a gorilla. What? What? How? Norman Foster called it lipstick on a gorilla. <laughs> lipstick on a That's gorilla. Good. Yes, yes, yes. I, nev- I never did it, you know, they asked me very often, but I never did it because I, I, I think it's not good. Um, we've touched on ruins, well, let's end on ruins. David, you're working with um, damaged buildings. There's an element of restoration in, in the brief, I think, but in, in the way you've approached it. Um, how, how do you treat them? Are they, I mean, interesting you're saying that you, in another project, the Haus der Kunst is a very problematic building for you because of its history. I'm curious as to how you work with, with the history of the, of the Museum Island in Berlin and how much ruins are a material in the way Anselm might, might use it and, and how much they, um, they're a kind of touchstone for what you do and how much they're an encumbrance to what you actually want to build around. Well, it, it's a subject that I think it would be interesting to hear Anselm talk about, but it seems to me, in my experience, in Germany, that Germany remains uh, a reflective society. Things mean, you know. I think the Anglo-Saxon world is less reflective in a way. I mean, we. Uh, you mean you mean it means something? Yeah. This house, the Kunst. Everything means something. And somehow in Germany, it's yeah, a, yeah. It's, it can get really boring and it's, really irritating. Yes. It is, yes. <laughs> but it's also, I mean, coming from an Anglo-Saxon world. It's quite fascinating because 
things have meaning. There's much more reflection. It's not so, and we know why. I mean, of course, the, the, the trauma of the Second World War uh, intensified this, but this there's discussion. A, there's, there's a difference between reflection and taboo. Yes. They have a lot of taboos, you know. And yes, but I think, I think the ref And the taboo you can, resolve, you can dissolve by reflection. And, um, and it's, you know, it's like in, in a, if, if like a scholar, like in a school, a boy gives the right answer to be pleased by the, by the teacher, you know? Mm. It's like this a, a little bit, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I, th I think that Germany, I think there is reflection, and I think there is, and of course the reflection is because of taboos, I mean, it's because they have to exercise things, yeah. you know, they've had to, and I think they've, I think that's persisted as, um, I mean, certainly my experience in Berlin is, is one where every operation, you know, has some sort of meaning, Partly, I suppose, also the dialogue is much more open. Berlin has five daily newspapers, so you know the discussion between these newspapers is always you know, enormous. But do you feel compelled to give the right answer to please your clients? I mean, that's what Ansem seems, seems to imply that there's, there's a. That, I mean, your. But I'm not talking about the client. I'm talking about the or the public. I'm talking about the public. No, no, no. no we don't speak about the client. Um, we speak about that in. In, in, um, in Germany, you cannot do certain things, but, but because it's a taboo, it's, it's forbidden. It's forbidden. No. But this, this, you know, there's a wonderful thing in, in Munich. You know, there was this little temple where they had every year the Nazis had um, the calling their, 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 their dead people. You, you know, what is this called? Um, in English, I don't know. A memorial. There was a, uh, was a ritus, a rite. And so the Americans exploded it, the, 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 it up, the, yeah. the, the, the pillars and things. So there was a fundamentation still there. Then they thought, this fundamentation, we should explode them too. In the, it was in the 70s. And then the Greens was against this because there was very special species, very little animals. They couldn't, they was only there because it was so forbidden to go there, you know? <laughs> so they couldn't explode this. It's fantastic, no? Well, the histories are so, so <laughs> complex. You know, last weekend... I know this is called Ökonischen. How do you say in English? I don't know. Öko, öko, ökolo, ökology? Huh? And niche? It's a niche. How can you say Ökonischen? An ecological niche. Ecological niche. It was an ecological niche. I like this word. <laughs> but the histories in Germany are so complex. Yeah. That means that there's a continuous discussion. Last weekend was the 25th anniversary of coming down the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of you know celebration. And yeah. Yeah. And imagine how confusing it is in Berlin that this symbol of repression, which immediately after the fall of the wall is destroyed and is taken away as much as possible. 20 years later, every tourist comes and says, where's the wall? They're looking yes. for the wall. So now everyone in Berlin is saying, shit, we got rid of it. You know, now they're, they're trying to, in a way, treasure as much of what's left as possible. You know, they could have... You know the, the, the expression from boys about the wall? What he said? No. He said the wall, it was still there, you know? He said the wall should be 50 centimeters higher because of proportions. 
fantastisch, ne? <lacht> so, I would have left the wall, you know? You could do, for the traffic, we could do holes in. You could do I would, ha would have left all, you know? Also the, the, the Todesstreifen, what is the Todesstreifen? It's plow, a plow the thing. Because this would be such a, a really, for tourists, it would be fantastic. Yeah, but it just shows you the dilemma that Berlin has of having these so many histories, it doesn't know which no, they, one. They wanted to cover all. all. Yeah. You know, as I, you would want to if you were living you know, in Berlin. I was, I was buying a, a nuclear power station who was out of duty, you know? It's a decommissioned nuclear power station in Germany, yes. yes. Because I, you know, the cooling tower. You was once in the middle of a cooling tower. Normally you cannot because of water himself, but this was finished and it was, it was so fantastic. It's, it's like the Pantheon, you know? When you look up, it goes like this and it was really... And I wanted to do something with it. So I had the, the contract with the RWE, you know? It was all fine. And then the Greens, uh, they said, we want a pelouse there, a green... A, a pelouse, what is pelouse? Park, I suppose. Or a field. park, yeah. That's typical, you know? Do you, do you have some sympathy with the idea of getting rid of a decommissioned nuclear power station to build a park rather than just keeping the power station? You have no sympathy with that idea at all? You, to, 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 to destroy it? Or? Yes. No, I, I think the thing was, who are radioactive, there was uh, this, um, this disconstructed. It's, it's, it's as, as expensive as to construct it. It's three billion to deconstruct a nuclear power station because... But the cooling tower is another thing. It's not radioactive. And, and this, I, I thought, it's, it's, it's wonderful to, to, to keep it and that an artist can say it's beautiful or do something with it. We have one and, and you should not... In the Germans, they want... They had this nuclear power station uh, tradition. And now they said, no more. It's okay. But why you cannot leave the, the remnants of this? But just, I want to go back to this idea of taboo, because in a way, this is what you play with. Your work is playing with taboos, no? And isn't the fact that Germany is such a reflective yeah. environment, isn't the fact that the, the environment that you grew up in and studied in and worked in has a, had an intensity and a, a sort of uh, a concentration of emotional and intellectual concerns that maybe in England we didn't have in the same way. Isn't that the material of your, the real material of your work? And isn't that also something which is so powerful in Germany? I think in England there's also, you, it starts already with a, with, a, with a Rechtsprechung, with a law, you know? You have casuistic law in England. So it's one case and then the other case and this case is this. And in, in Germany it's more normative. You have laws, and, and, and then it's subdued from big law, the little laws, and, and so on. So th then England is more, it's more flexible. It's more, it's, yeah, I think. That was the, the legally trained Anselm Keith yes. deflecting the question <laughs> you, about you slipped taboo. slipped out of my question. <laughs> with, with a polish that a professional lawyer would have been proud of. Um, there's many much more that we could continue to, to debate, but sadly we've run out of time. We have to clear this room because the public are coming in in half an hour. Um, you're all very welcome. In fact, you're being encouraged to go and see the rest of the exhibition. Um, but can I thank both David Chipperfield and Anselm Kiefer, and thank you all for coming. Thank you.